She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium. Season 1. Episode 15. Sacrament. This episode was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and originally aired on Friday, February 21st, 1997 at 9pm. In it, After Frank Black's sister-in-law, Helen, is abducted from a baptism ceremony for Frank's nephew and now godson, Jordan takes ill. Turns out she may have possibly inherited something from her father. Like the cooties? Maybe. Also, Frank tries to find Helen before it's too late. (gasps) That would be a weird episode if, like, she got abducted and then the whole episode was just about... Jordan getting sick. That would be weird. That would be weird. And they're like, oh, shit. Aunt Helen's gone. Oh, well. Jordan's (laughs) ill, though. Can't do anything about that. We got a sick kid. That's taking up all my time now, which honestly, I've never been a parent, but I imagine that's sort of true. Oh, poor Catherine in this episode. She's just got got the baby. She's got Jordan. And man, the men are off running around doing men stuff. And poor Catherine's (laughs) got a kid. It's messed up. Anyway. This episode was written by Frank Spotnitz and was directed by Michael W. Watkins. Spotnitz's last Millennium episode was Weeds, which was a dog of an episode. That's Nick's opinion, mm-hmm. but I don't remember mine. It's probably the same. <laughs> it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. So maybe this one will benefit from lowered expectations. Maybe. This is Watkins' only Millennium episode, but he will direct six X-Files episodes, three in season six and three in season seven. Yeah, I gave Weeds a three and you gave it a four. So. Okay, so yeah, not, not a solid episode then. No. So we're in Seattle, Washington, and it's February 4th, and it's 11.47 a.m., and there's a baptism taking place, and we're in a church, and Frank's younger brother, Tom, and his wife, Helen, have traveled all the way to Seattle, we don't know from where, to have their child, Charles Francis Black, baptized in the same church that Tom was. Mm-hmm. Frank is going to be the godfather. Aww. Yeah, so they have the ceremony and everything apparently goes well. And the baby gets water on his head and all that kind of stuff, like you're supposed to do in a baptism. And then after the ceremony, everyone's like having like, you know chit chat and hors d'oeuvres maybe or whatever that you do after a baptism i don't know and tom is telling Catherine a story about his and frank's childhood and like a christmas present and a bike and all this kind of stuff and jordan is playing with his young boy who's also there and as tom talks frank sees helen talking to a man and the man's back is turned to frank and helen i to me it looked like she really was not wanting to have this conversation i don't know they don't really they don't really talk about that in the episode but it seemed like she was just like, whatever, dude, leave. I don't want to talk to you. So, yeah, just making polite small talk, but not really interested. Probably wants to get back to her family and talk to them. You know, doesn't know yeah. who this guy is. And then Frank kind of comes out of it because Tom is talking about, you know, stuff that happened when they were kids. And he's like, where's Jordan? And Catherine's like, she's in like the other room or something. So he goes to find Jordan. So he goes into the main, it's the main church here, like while the pews and stuff are is where Jordan is. And he finds Jordan and she's crouched between some of the pews crying. And the little boy that she was playing with is like a little bit kind of a distance away and some other pews and he's just watching because he doesn't know what the hell is going on. Right. He's confused. Yeah. Why Jordan's (laughs) like there just crying. Right. And so Frank picks up Jordan is like, what's wrong, sweetie? And she's like, he's hurting her, daddy. And Frank kind of looks at the boy who was like, what on? He's obviously yeah. not hurting anybody and no, seems super confused about what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Like, don't, I don't want to be in trouble. And no. he's like, <laughs> he's so cute too. And he's just standing there like, he, I don't, I think part of it is just he doesn't know what to do in the scene. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the actual actor, the little the boy. The actor just doesn't know what to do. But like, it's kind of adorable because he's just like, oh. Yeah. And so Frank asked Jordan, like, who's being hurt? And she's like, Aunt Helen. So so then Frank carries Jordan back into the main hall and he hands her the Catherine. She's like, what's wrong? He's like, oh, she's she's upset. And he's like, Tom, where's Helen? And he's like, well, she took the baby back to the hotel. And Frank's like, when? He's like, just a little bit ago. So Frank runs out of the church 
and he sees Tom and Helen's car, probably a rental car, but anyways, yes. the car they were using. And the rear door is ajar. And so he runs over to it, and inside is little baby Charles. He seems okay, but he's all by himself. And there's a drop of blood on his cheek. <gasps> and Frank has a vision of a screaming man trying to climb out of a pool of fire. And then there's this eight-pointed star inside two circles that is carved into human flesh and it's all bloody. And then the man is like, ah, like trying to climb out of the flaming pool again. And then back to reality. And Tom and the others have rushed out, and Tom is there mm -hmm. now. And they're like, where's Helen? And Helen is nowhere to be found. Uh-huh. And then it's the titles. Yep. Tonight's baptism. Creepy. Also, <laughs> I mean, Jordan is psychic. Is she? Or does she see something? Maybe she saw something out the window. We don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, Frank's not psychic. Mm. It's not like she would have disagree. psychic abilities. Yeah. So. I disagree with yeah. Chris Carter on that. <laughs> yeah. I think he's very psychic. I also think he's a good detective, but I think to he's also benefit, tapping into some psychic you energy. predicted this earlier, which they have been foreshadowing. It's not like they just came out of the blue, but there was some other stuff in the previous episode. You're like, I think Jordan is psychic, and you were apparently right. Mm -hmm. well, it looks like you might be right. You're, yeah. Right. So, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So then we have the, you know, we have the opening titles, all kind of stuff. And then we get the epigraph that we always get. And I'm pretty sure that's like, I think they go to titles and they go to commercial. And when they come back, we get the epigraph and then the episode actually starts. I think is how it works. It's hard uh -huh. to tell. But this epigraph is, he said to me in a dreadful voice that I had indeed escaped his clutches, but he would capture me still. And this is from St. Teresa of Avila. So she was an actual saint, and she lived from 1515 to 1582 in what is today Spain. wasn't called Spain at the time. And the quote is from chapter 31, paragraph 2 of The Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel, which is translated from the Spanish by David Lewis. And this was the edition I looked at is from 1870. There are some other editions. But chapter 31 is titled of certain outward temptations and appearances of Satan, of the sufferings thereby occasioned, canceled for those who go on onto perfection. It's got a long huh. title. Yes. So paragraph itself, however, is pretty short because the paragraph in its entirety, again, paragraph two, is I was once in an oratory when Satan in an abominable shape appeared on my left hand. I looked at his mouth in particular because he spoke and it was horrible. A huge flame seemed to issue out of his body, perfectly bright, without any shadow. He spoke in a fearful way and said to me, though I had escaped out of his hands, he would yet lay hold of me again. And I was in great terror, made the sign of the cross as well as I could, and then the form vanished, but it reappeared instantly. This occurred twice. I did not know what to do. There was some holy water at hand. I took some and threw it in the direction of the figure, and then Satan never returned. Hmm. So, obviously, in this quotation, it's different, but it's translation. So Right. You know, yeah, you, you never know. It. There's always little yeah. tiny differences. Yeah. But basically, it's about Satan. Okay. So. Well, that's on brand for this show. So Yeah. Then we're at the Seattle Public Safety Building, and it's February 4th at 3.12 p.m. So same day. Same day. And Frank believes he may have seen the possible suspect, so he's going through police mugshots. And as he goes through them, he sees flashes of the man talking to Helen, but still only the back of his head. He's unable to ID anybody, so Giebelhaus tries to reassure Frank by telling him that the back of a guy's head doesn't provide a lot of information. Like, you're not failing here. It's just you don't have a lot to go on. Mm-hmm. Bletcher shows up, and they go over the current situation. Then Bletch says he needs to talk to Frank, and they go into his office. He tells Frank that he and the Millennium Group can't be a part of this. No prosecutor will be able to get a conviction with evidence provided by the victim's brother-in-law. He tells Frank that he's the best person to help them on this, but if he helps them, he won't be helping. So he tells Frank to go home. Yeah, I get it, but it also seems like bullshit because, like, evidence is evidence. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't matter who gets it. Because, like, what if you happen, like, you're a 
I mean, not that I'm like pro cop or anything, but like, what if you were a police officer? Well, I guess usually they, they won't allow you to work on those cases, but still, right. it's like, you know, I mean, in theory, you know, what if you were the only cop, but it was like a one cop town, like you're the sheriff, da, 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 you know? Yeah. I don't know. So. I guess they're trying to avoid any appearance of bias, but. Uh, right. Because you could rule, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I said, I get it, but it also. Right. Seem like, yeah. You know, facts are facts. Shouldn't matter who provided them, but they're facts. So. So in the hall, Frank gets Tom, who is obviously upset and frustrated, and they leave. Mm-hmm. And obviously he wants to be doing something. His wife is missing. He's terrified. Like, sitting around sucks in those situations, I'm sure. Yeah, well, and also he feels powerless. He wasn't able Chris. to protect his wife, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and she was taken midday from a street in front of a church. Like, that's not a place that you would think, oh, I need to be worried. So right. then he probably feels guilty because he didn't go with her or, you know, walk mm-hmm. her to her car or whatever. Who yeah. knows? Yeah, there's there's levels of it. There's like guilt, there's powerlessness in the event, but then also like there's not really a lot that he can do as far as like helping the finder because he's not right. a police officer or anything. So yeah. Yeah. At the yellow house, Frank asks Jordan if she's feeling better. Catherine comes downstairs and Tom asks how the baby's doing. Catherine says he has a little fever, but she just put him down. So Tom goes up to see his kid and Jordan goes with him. Frank tells Catherine they have no motive, no suspects, no forensic evidence, and are treating it as a completely random act. Frank knows this is not the perpetrator's first abduction. Then he asks if she talked to Jordan. Catherine tells him she didn't see anything, and then asks Frank how she could have known someone was hurting Helen if she didn't see anything. Hmm. Frank says maybe she just sensed something was wrong. Catherine looks at him. He tells her that he'll find Helen. She tells him to be careful about making that claim. They both know how these cases turn out. But he says that he'll find her. Hmm. Catherine knows something is up. Yeah. Yeah. She knows that Jordan has a little bit of psychic powers. (laughs) (laughs) So later the police return Tom and Helen's luggage because they were holding the luggage to check it, see if there's any clues. And then Frank starts examining them, looking to see if there was anything that might have been missed. And he f- sees that one bag is missing the ID tag. <gasps> so then we cut to a hardware store, and a man enters, and the clerk is like, how can I help you? And the man says he needs some things for a project. And the clerk is like, what kind of project? And the man says he is adding a room to his house. And the clerk's like, that's quite a project. And the man is like, yes, it will take some time. And then he looks around for a little bit and he's like, I need some rope and some tools. And the clerk jokingly is like, what are you building a tree house? And the man just stares at him uncomfortably. And so the clerk. (laughs) For like a long time. And he's like, okay, not the person to joke with. Yeah. So the clerk is like, okay, I'll go get some rope. And then so while he's doing that, the man is collecting some tools, including a utility knife and some duct tape and a serrated saw. He's really looking at that serrated saw like, hmm, this looks nice. And then the clerk comes back with the rope and he's like, oh, are you doing any stud work? And the man is like, yes. And he's like, wood or metal? And he's like, wood. He's like, oh, well, then you'll want one of these. And he gives him a nail gun. And he's like, this will shoot things through wood like you wouldn't believe. And the man is like, I'll take it. So <laughs> and he's like, this will put nails through wood like it's butter. And the guy's yeah. like, all right. Oh, oh. Yeah. So then we're at the security office at SeaTac International Airport. And it's 6.12 p.m. Reviewing the security footage, Frank sees a man talking to Helen while Tom collects their bags from the luggage carousel. He looks very similar to someone who would match the person he saw at the church. And then he has flashes of Helen screaming. Bludge slams his fist onto a printout of grainy security footage. He tells Frank that that could just be some guy. Frank tells him Tom's secretary received a call from someone claiming to be his friend, and she told him the location of the church for the baptism. Yeah, and when he gets back, she is out of a job. Woo! I mean, rightly so. You should be giving out personal information like that. No, no. um, That's one of the first things you should learn if you're ever in like customer service or reception. If people call asking for personal information, you just say, "Uh, they're not in the office right now. I'll have them get back to you. Like you don't Mm -hmm. ever give them any addresses, any information, no schedule information, no when they'll be back. It's no one's business. Yeah. Bludge tells him he needs to back off. He's too close. 
He tells them that they found a stolen car abandoned in a supermarket parking lot. Frank's like, Helen's blood was inside. He just knows those things. Mm-hmm. And Bletch confirms. Frank tells them that means she's still alive. Otherwise, she'd be in the car. But they don't have much time. <gasps> As Frank and Tom leave, the man from the hardware store is also sitting in the hall. And he has a flash of the screaming man trying to escape from the pool of fire and the symbol carved into flesh. He is the man in the flaming pool. <gasps> I think it's commercial. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Frank's psychic powers go ding, 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 ding? I know, because right usually, usually when he sees the guy, he has that kind of like. Yeah, I, well, I don't know that he saw the guy. Because yeah, he doesn't get Tom. Like really, the guy's yeah. way in the foreground, and he kind of comes out from behind mm-hmm. him. So, because he's kind of, I couldn't tell if he was eating sunflower seeds or if he was just chewing his fingernails. Yeah, it's like I he was tell waiting either. for something. I couldn't tell. So, I think he might have been chewing his fingernails, but I'm not sure. So, then we come back from commercial, and it's February 5th, 7 42 a.m. It's the next day. And at the yellow house, Catherine pulls a baby bottle out of the refrigerator and places it in the microwave. And then she's startled to find that Tom is sitting at the kitchen table in the dark. And he tells her that Frank left a few minutes ago to go for a walk. And then he's like, you know, Catherine sits down and talking to him. He's like, I'm trying to prepare myself for whatever happens. And then he's like, that's the black family way. Try to anticipate the future so you don't have to dwell on the past. Tom is obviously upset. And like we mentioned, he feels both guilty and powerless and all that kind of stuff. And Catherine is like, you couldn't have stopped what happened any more than you can control the future. And he says he doesn't know what life was like before yesterday. He keeps seeing pictures of her suffering and he can't help her. And then baby Charles starts crying upstairs and Catherine is like, oh, he's he's probably just hungry. And so she goes and gets the bottle out of the microwave and Tom is like, I'll be up there in a bit. And so Catherine's like, okay. And she starts to leave and he's like, can you turn out the light? And so she turns out the light and she goes upstairs and he just sits alone in the dark. And so I'm wondering if Tom is also having these flashes and just doesn't know what they are. Or... Yeah. So maybe like the black family is just psychic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're yeah. like the Adams in Wednesday. Like they're just, there's a psychic thing that runs hereditarily down their line, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Cause it seems like, cause he's talking about like, like maybe like we saw last episode that like, the traumatic event of like almost being killed by a serial killer is maybe what gave Frank his powers, right? Like a, maybe that's what activated them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so maybe this is what has activated Tom's. Oh. He's like, cause he's like, like, I don't know what life was like before yesterday. So it seems like they just started. So oh. maybe. Yeah. And then maybe, possible. and then maybe this event also is what triggers Jordan for some reason. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I will say he's being useless, so like his baby needs to be fed and like Catherine's just doing everything. Mm, Come on, buddy. That's your kid. Get up, get the bottle, do your freaking job. Yeah. There's a scene later when he says some stuff and I was expecting Frank to say like, well, you've still got a son, but like doesn't come up. And so I was like, "Mm, okay, I guess Catherine's (laughs) going to take care of it. So, you know. Oh, geez. So Frank gets into Peter Watt's car and thanks him for coming on such short notice. That's where he went for a walk to. Mm-hmm. Peter tells him that he's concerned it might be the same person who has been sending Frank pictures of his family. And while he can't rule that out, he does have some other avenues of investigation. He hands Frank a packet full of internal Seattle police dispatches that he unofficially obtained. Mm-hmm. The police have to be notified when sex offenders are released. Frank thanks him and the group for their effort. Peter says that given the unofficial nature of their investigation, he has not informed the group. Oh. This is all Peter working on his own. All Peter. In his basement office, Frank goes through the info. He has a flash and he recognizes Richard Green, the man from the hardware store and also outside Bletch's office. He calls Bletcher. Bletcher tells him Green was in the mugshots he looked at before and he didn't recognize him. Frank tells him that Green has a shaved head. He thinks Green was wearing a wig when he met Helen at the airport and when he abducted her. He also worked at SeaTac. And that's how he picked his victims, Bletcher responds. They know. They pulled him in last night and got nothing. He's a nut job, but he served his time and is currently living with his parents. So that's why he was at the police station. They were right. The they called him in. 
Yeah, because uh-huh. they're they're ahead of Frank on this one a little. They are. Yeah. Just a little bit, yeah. Frank says they need to watch him. Fletch says they are. He's on 24-7 surveillance. He asked Frank to back off, and now he's ordering him to, and he slams the phone down. Woo. Yeah. Fletch got hot. Catherine witnesses the end of the call. Frank tells her that Green was released two weeks ago after serving an eight-year sentence. He kidnapped, raped, tortured, and mutilated two women. She asks if he took Helen. Frank says he fits. She says he has to tell Tom, but he says that he can't. This is beyond Tom's worst fears, and he won't tell him such a thing until he's absolutely sure. Which I mean, is that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there is a habit of like keeping things from people, especially like from like wives and shit in this show, like keeping things from Catherine that kind of stuff. But like, this is one of the things. Like, yeah, you don't don't bring that up if you don't have to. Like, you don't know no. yet. Yeah, don't, don't do wait that till you have something more conclusive. Otherwise, you're gonna make him worry, and it might be for nothing. Yeah. Also, like he may be. I I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe he knows his brother, and maybe his brother is not really very creative. But to say like this is beyond Tom's worst fears, I don't know that you could say that if some dude has had his wife abducted like i imagine you could think of the worst things possible yes probably so yeah i think it's just a turner phrase right it's beyond his worst fears or maybe tom is just a dullard and doesn't think of things (laughs) although although apparently tom works in academia is what he says yeah i don't think that's the case i think it's just one of those phrases that if you think about it too hard it sounds weird yeah Anyway, so inside his parents' home, Green is throwing tape and tools into a duffel bag. And he's pacing back and forth in the room. And he looks out a window at a car that is parked on the street a couple of houses down. And then he curses and he grabs the bag. And his mother comes down and he's like, I'm going out. And she's like, what? And then his father comes down the stairs with a cigarette in his mouth. And he looks at his wife without a care. Like he doesn't give a shit what's going on, honestly. Uh And then his son goes out the door. So outside, Green gets up to the sidewalk, and he slams the bag down the sidewalk, and then he runs towards the car with the serrated saw that he has, and he's like, leave me alone, I didn't do anything, ah! And people in Griebelhaus get out of the car, because they were in the car, and then Green's mother comes out and is like, leave my boy alone, he's all better now, you can ask the hospital. <laughs> and then, so she takes him, calms him down. You know, because they're like, hey, mister, you know, you, you just calm down. You know, we don't want any trouble. Like, they both got their hands in their jacket. Like, if I have to, I'm going to pull this gun. So you better calm down. And he's just like doing a dance in front of the car with his saw. Like, oh, you know, maybe no. Anyway, so Teeple and Griebelhouse get back in the car. And then she takes Green in the house. And Griebelhouse is like, yeah, he's a picture of mental health. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I said Griebelhouse at one point. So then Teeple and Griebelhouse get back in the car. And then she takes him into the house. Yeah. I really like Giebelhaus and Teeple, honestly. Like, they're not the same type of characters, but I think of them like I think of the lone gunmen. Like, they're, they're the lone gunmen of Millennium. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. Yeah, because they add, like, they're not just, like, comedy, but they do add a little bit of comedy sometimes. They just lighten it a little bit. Maybe not even, like, their comedy, but they just kind of, they lighten it a little bit. You know, Giebelhaus is always saying stuff and that kind of thing, so. Mm-hmm. Sadly, this is Teeple's final appearance, although Giebelhaus will have 11 more appearances, including six in season two and two in season three. Nice. So, and on Teeple, I originally had this in my season wrap-up notes for Blood Relatives. I thought, and in my head, I thought we had actually talked about it before because I put it in my season one wrap-up notes and then we had a hiatus. And so I'm kind of blending what was going on. And in Blood Relatives, Teeple is listed as appearing, but he actually doesn't. And so I kind of did a little dive on Teeple. And so Brian Markinson is the actor who plays Teeple. And he's a ridiculously long IMDb list of credits going back to 1990 and continuing all the way up until 2022. He also has a pretty impressive list of Broadway credits. Nice. So he's, he's really working. And IMDb does corroborate the non-appearance in Blood Relatives because it just says credit only. Sure. So, because remember, we had talked about that in Blood Relatives. Yes, so, like, I they, do remember. His, his name is there, but like he's not in the episode. So, he's technically actually only in two episodes The Judge and this one, which is weird because it feels like he was in more. Yeah, but it does. Maybe, maybe it's just because Giebelhaus is in more. Like, he's been in more since then and he's going to be in more later. Maybe so, I don't know. It just feels like they've been in more episodes. Like they're like they're a team, right? Like they're always together. It's always Giebelhaus and people, but apparently not. So. 
he does appear in two episodes of the X-Files, one we've already seen, which was season one, episode 21, Born Again, mm-hmm. possibly one of, if not the worst X-Files episode, where he played Tony Fiore. He was the guy who killed his partner and then married his wife and then pissed off the little girl who had telekinesis because she was a reincarnation of the dead guy. Yeah. Which is not a good episode. But yeah, so he was that dude. And then there's an episode we haven't seen yet, season five, episode 19, Foily I Do. So mm-hmm. I'm Frenchy for Tori when we get to that one. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Yeah, last episode of Teeple. Cool. Not cool that. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit in Blood Relves about how I think they just kind of merged them together. I think so. Kind of thing. Yeah, they just, it was just they realized they just kind of needed one. They didn't yeah. really need so two. So I have two dudes. Because there were why too many. Two people when you can just pay one. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem to be like hurting because of it. He's been busy, busy, busy. So good for him. So then we're at the Glen Rosa State Hospital for the criminally insane. <gasps> and it's 3.46 p.m. Our place is really named for the criminally insane. I don't think so. It seems like Arkham Asylum shit Yeah, to me. I don't I don't, know. I don't know that that's a real name. I think it would just be like Glen Rosa State Hospital for, you know, mental health or something. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. Frank meets Dr. Patricia Moss. And she's not surprised that Green is in trouble again. He completed his psychiatric course, but if she could have held him for longer than eight years, she would have. Unfortunately, she was overruled. She tells Frank that they have a 90% success rate at Glen Rosa, i.e. people who go there, come out, and do not commit more crimes. At least Mm -hmm. 90% of them. Yeah, so like non-recidivism, basically, if you were talking like prison stuff, yeah. Mm -hmm. Frank assumes that she's not surprised that he's among the other 10%, and she is not. No, and she is I know! deadpan medical examiner. I was so excited when I saw her. I was like, wait, I know that face. Who is that? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, my God, I love her. Yep. So I was very excited to see her. Yep. Lorena Gale is her name. That's the actor's name. And she's actually not far off from her Shadows character in this role, honestly. She's kind no. of. But it's kind of. Maybe it's just because we haven't seen deadpan medical examiner for a while we just remember like that he's dead so but like her delivery reminded me a lot of cch pounder me too and actually for a moment i was like wait a minute i I did the same thing and i was like i know that's not her face but Uh i was like did like i was trying to figure out like oh did they put her in some weird makeup or something then i was like no that's not her and i was confused for like a split second it wasn't very long but i was just like wait because cch pounder plays another character she plays andrews so well i mean it's not like that doesn't happen it's true i mean it does happen i was just like it would be weird that it would be like almost like like, right after i know it was like (laughs) they wouldn't give her another role would they and then i was like no that's not her but you know for a split second i did have that thought yeah because she was just in she was most recently in episode 13 so yeah like two so she was so, yeah so that would be weird far. yeah but also i think this is the first time that gail has had this many lines and something yes. we've seen so it may have just been like we just never really got a feel for like her delivery yeah so, so we've seen her twice before in shadows and then she was also a nurse in one breath yes and she's going to be in x-files two more times once very soon and once much later Nice. But this is her only Millennium appearance. So, but yeah, as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh shit. I wonder if yeah, totally didn't I was recognize very excited. Her. Yeah, I was, I was really excited to see her. Because <laughs> I, like, I remember hey! in one breath, you didn't recognize her. I, I had didn't to point her out at to all. You. And yeah. I think, well, I think she has like one word in that episode. Yeah, she too. doesn't do very much so, in that episode. This one, she actually talked for a while and she does kind of have a little bit of a deadpan delivery. So I was like, oh yeah. Yeah, I think she yeah. says, because she's the one who's like drawing blood, I think, or something at one point. And I think she says like one, one or two words and maybe mm-hmm. that's it. It's so, not very much. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tom is going through Frank's basement office. He jimmies open a file cabinet and finds the police dispatches that Peter gave to Frank. Uh Uh-oh. Not going to end well. Back at Glen Rosa, Dr. Moss lets Frank into Green's former room. But she's like, it's been cleaned, so there's like nothing of his left. I'm not sure what you're hoping to find. Frank climbs up on the bed's metal headboard to look out the gray-covered window. He asks if Green was delusional. Moss says he believed he was controlled by the devil. He felt he was safe while there, 
but believed he would fall back into the devil's grasp if released. Frank has visions of Green screaming, trying to escape the pool of fire. Frank says he saw himself as a victim, tortured like the women he abducted. Moss says she wishes she could say they were able to help alleviate his delusions, but to be honest, they released Green with a bottle of pills and a prayer. On the wall behind the bed, Frank finds the eight-pointed symbol surrounded by two circles carved into the wall. It's the same symbol he's seen in his flashes carved into the flesh. Moss says Green must have done it. He had a crude version burned into the flesh of his bicep. Frank says it's the mark of Lucifer, an ancient symbol drawn as a sign of true loyalty. Whoa, the devil? Yep. And then back in Frank's basement office... Tom finds a holstered service revolver in the back of a drawer. He loads it, and he has Green's file open. Uh-oh. Yeah, not good. Yeah. I'm thinking this must have been like an ankle gun or something, because his service weapon would not be a revolver. And we right. saw that it wasn't a revolver in the thin white line in those flashbacks. Also, later when we see him actually using it, spoiler, it is super tiny. It is a yeah. super tiny gun. It's like almost like a toy gun. It's like so. Mulder's backup, you know, gotta have. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, so I'm thinking it's like an ankle gun kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So especially because like it was in the holster, so you would just strap it on and be ready mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. So then we see Catherine, and she's carrying Jordan, who looks like asleep or passed out or something, into the kitchen. And then the phone rings, and it's Frank, and she's like, "Oh, I'm so glad it's you. I had to take Charles to the Merediths. Jordan is burning up with fever, and so I'm about to take her to the hospital." And Frank is like, well, "Where's Tom?" And she's <laughs> like, "Isn't he with you?" So. Where is Tom? You have a son, my friend. Where are you? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. So she's like, isn't he with you? He left an hour ago and told her he was going to meet Frank downtown. So. Uh-oh. Yep. So then we see someone knocking on a door and the door opens and it's Green. And Tom is like, where is she? And Green is like, I don't know. And then Tom puts the gun right in Green's face and pulls the hammer back and says, you're going to tell me where she is in his commercial mm-hmm. then we come back and guess what tom is still there and he grabs green and pulls him forward and green goes down onto his knees and tom is like i'm gonna kill you and then asks him where his wife is and green is like i don't know and then Giebelhaus and teeple run up behind tom and they got their weapons drawn and they're like put down the gun mr black and then Giebelhaus is like we don't want to get confused about who the bad guy is and Green, who is standing up now in a continuity error, honestly, grabs the gun and puts it against his chest. And is like, do it! Shoot me! Because he was all kind of like super mellow, but now he's kind of getting all ramped up. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess you probably would if you have someone pointing a gun at you. Yeah. And so he's like, shoot me, shoot me! And then meanwhile, we see that Green's mother has appeared in the hall behind him. And so she's seen what's going on. And then Giebelhaus is like, don't do it, Tom. He can't tell you anything if he's dead. And then Tom breaks down, he lowers a gun, and like kind of collapses onto the stairs, and Giebelhaus goes over to him. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, nobody got shot. Which is good. I thought he was going to grab the gun and like actually like pull the trigger. Oh, like, man. He, he, he totally could have, because I doubt yeah. Tom has like any kind of like, you know, no, trigger control. He's or not anything, very good so. at using a gun. He shouldn't be doing yeah. that. I get that he's desperate and grieving and, you know, all sorts of feelings, but come on. Buddy. Not good. That would have yeah. been an interesting way for the episode to go if he had done that and then he's dead and then Tom is like being prosecuted for murder. For killing him. And then they gotta figure out what you know, they have to figure out like a way to like this happened and then they still But then Frank would Helen's be adopting then... a baby. <laughs> well, I guess if they found Helen, he would they, yeah, have well to. they would yeah, they would still find <laughs> Helen, but then like I mean I guess that would have to be like a two parter because you'd have to add a whole nother level to it. So yeah. I mean Tom would eventually get off, I imagine, because they could mentally we prove that green pulled it he'd maybe have like to do like some community service for pulling a gun on somebody or something i don't know but yeah he's friends with the cops they get him off <laughs> oh, our system is so broken <laughs> anyway it's 10 32 p.m frank pulls up to the yellow house and goes inside tom is alone downstairs frank closes off the room and asks tom what the hell he thought he was doing tom says the only thing he felt he could do And Frank's like, by breaking into my office and stealing my gun? Tom says this wouldn't have happened if they hadn't come here to Seattle. Frank brings this on himself. It's a sickness, and he can't keep it locked in the basement. Frank says he'd do anything to protect his family. 
And Tom's like, by keeping me in the dark, Tom doesn't want protection. He wants the truth. Frank says there are some truths best left unknown. Tom says he can't keep it from them. He can't keep it from any of them. <gasps> yep. Trying to build that little perfect bubble of the yellow house, but you can't keep the world from coming in. And then Frank enters Jordan's room. Benny is sleeping on the bed with her. She has a bandage in the crook of her arm from a blood draw, and Catherine comes in. She tells him at first they thought maybe she caught something from Charles, but it's the same thing as when they first moved to Seattle. Because um, Jordan was hospitalized after falling and hitting her head after suffering from a fever in the pilot. Mm -hmm. If you did not listen to that episode, which you can go back and do now. I mean, not right now. Finish this one first. And And also, Benny is the little puppy that she got, which is now huge. He is huge. He has reappeared and is sleeping on the bed with her. So So at the hospital this time, they ran a bunch of tests, but they couldn't find anything. And Jordan still has a fever. Frank gets a message on his pager. 2000 which obviously millennium group mm-hmm. it's now 1102 they hug yep so he talked to his brother for half an hour i guess mm-hmm. it was a heated conversation those take a while yeah. <laughs> so then the thunder rolls and frank's jeep pulls up alongside peter watt's car and frank introduces his brother to peter so i guess he's not keeping him in the dark anymore he's taking him along Peter was able to get in the police impound and examine the car they found that had Helen's blood in it. I love that Peter's like breaking into the police just, impound lot, everything. stealing records. Like yeah. he's just doing whatever. It's great. Yeah, he's, he's got some yeah connections or something, man. Anyway, he found like some pine needles in the air duct. It's from a conifer tree native to Japan. The only place it's found in Washington State is at Peninsula National Park, where they did a test planting. It's 20 miles away. <gasps> oh. Yep. So they go to the park and they find an abandoned cabin. <gasps> and they search through it and they find a bunch of old newspapers on the floor and they're covered in blood. It's mm-hmm. pretty gross. And then under the newspaper, Peter finds a gold wedding band and Tom recognizes it as Helen's. Even though he's like 20 feet away, he's like, yeah. it's Helen's. But it's yeah, wishful so, thinking, I think. He sees a ring. He's yeah. like, oh, my wife wears a ring. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got a close-up of it, and we see a close-up of his face, and maybe we're not supposed to realize that he's still standing like 20 feet away and would not mm-hmm. really be able to see the ring. But, yeah. So. And it's February 6th, and it's 7.01 a.m. Another day has passed. We're closing in on that golden 48 hours. Woo! Man. Yep, yep. Yeah. So police have the cabin sealed off. And Bletch tells Frank that he got away from them. They took some tire casts that fit the abandoned car they found. And they've got men canvassing the woods looking for a body. So he's much nicer to Frank now. So I think he realizes, you know, I guess we need your help. Um, well, and also, we're not going to keep you away. So I tried. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, <laughs> I think he feels like, oh, he got away from us. Like, he figures, like, he failed at some point, maybe. So maybe he's feeling also like he needs to apologize. I don't know. There's there's a weird dynamic here. They'll get into it a little bit more later. But, yeah. Frank doesn't know how he did it. They had him under surveillance since Sunday night. Butch says, well, maybe he did it quickly on Sunday afternoon before they brought him in as a suspect. So he's like, grabbed her, killed her, and then they brought him in that night. Because it's all that was all the same day, right? So mm-hmm. maybe it was yeah. fast. I don't know. February 4th, the day of the abduction, by the way, was a Tuesday in 1997. So I'm okay. not sure where Sunday comes in. But anyway. Sure. Yeah. So as they leave, Frank asks Peter to make sure the ring doesn't get lost. Because you know, that would probably really fuck Tom up, too, if that's all he has left. So and then Tom is like all zombified in the Jeep. and He's just all like oh, staring off in the distance. And Frank tells him that Peter is going to stay to help with the operation. And Tom says he feels nothing. Nothing is inside. None of it is real. And this is where I thought Frank was going to be like, you have a son. You have to be strong for him. That kind of thing. Yeah. Frank is like, are you ready to leave? And Tom is like, let's get the hell out of here. So they leave. And it's commercial. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Tom is clearly not prepared to be a single father because he's clearly not. 
too. No, no, no. Well, I mean, is anybody really? I mean, honestly, no. Is anybody really? But I just ready? mean, like, he's not even like Catherine's just taking care of the baby for him. He's doing nothing. I'm just well, like, honestly, let's be honest. I don't think Tom was gonna do fucking much if Helen was around. So it's I true. think it was all gonna be Helen. So you know, yeah. I don't think he like Frank and Jordan have a dynamic, right? A really cute one, a really sweet one, and it's gonna come up later in the episode, actually. I don't know that Tom and Charles are going to have that dynamic. So I think Tom is just going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I have a kid and he's going to go yeah. to work and Helen's going to do everything. So I could be wrong. So then it's February 6th at 10, 16 a.m. And Jordan still has a fever. So Catherine tells her she's going to stay home with her. And Jordan's like, mommy, why is the man so mad? And Catherine's like, who? And Jordan's like, the man who is making Aunt Helen cry. And Catherine's completely taken off guard by that. She's like, mm. um. So Frank enters and he says hi to Jordan. And he turns and he sees that Catherine is looking not well. She's still a little off guard. She's like, huh? And yeah, because he like, missed all that. He came in right, right after that. So, right. yeah. And he's like, what's wrong? And then we see police arrest Green and remove him from his home. Frank arrives and Bletch tells him Green's blood was found in the cabin. They also found a bunch of tools in his room, so he's their guy, but he's still not talking. Frank's like, that's not why you called me down here, and it isn't, and then he takes Frank to the backyard. We see officers and forensics are digging up the backyard and sifting the soil. They uncover a body. <gasps> Frank looks, but it's not Helen. The body is old, and we see it's almost skeletonized. Whoa. We've been there a while, probably. Yeah. So then it's 5.15 p.m. And Frank and Tom are at the public safety building. And Tom has the ring in a plastic bag, so I guess he didn't get lost. And Green is still being questioned. And then Peter arrives and says that the body at the house was killed at least nine years ago. So yeah, before he got, sense. yeah, yeah, because he was incarcerated for eight years, right? Yes. So, yeah. yeah. But he found something in the roof of the mouth. There are burn marks, likely from a cigarette in the shape of a star. And Frank says, it's the same symbol burned onto Green's arm. <gasps> Which that's honestly like to do that design work with a cigarette. That's some skill. I mean, it's yeah. disgusting. Because I imagine is. you probably did that to the person while they were alive. Oh, yeah, and it probably hurt like fucking hell. But yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but still, that takes some skill. So maybe he has those little tiny thin cigarettes and he's, I don't know, anyway. Or maybe it wasn't a cigarette, maybe it was something else. Anyway. So Frank realizes that Green did not murder Helen at the cabin because he was under surveillance since Sunday, right? So they go back to the Green home. And turns out he couldn't leave, so they had to do something else to the body. And the tools that they found didn't have any traces of blood so they weren't part of his torture kit what was he using them for well it turns out green wasn't lying he was adding on to his house they hid <laughs> helen's body in the house probably somewhere so they're banging on the walls boom boom, boom looking for hollow spots and then peter finds what's definitely a new wall got some tape still on the drywall and everything so they start smashing through it but there's nothing so they keep just like tearing the drywall away and they find helen and Tom is like, oh, no, but her body's still warm. So Bletch calls for a paramedic, and Tom is, like, holding his wife's hand. is like, oh, baby, baby, you know, because obviously, you know, his wife is in bad shape. She does not look good. And then Frank sees that Green's father is standing at the top of the stairs smoking. He has, like, no emotion or reaction to anything that's occurring in his house. And then Frank sees flashes of the symbol carved into flesh and Green screaming in the fire pit. Oh, God, how horrible for Helen, too, to be, like, literally walled up and just know you're probably going to die there because you're mm -hmm. being walled up. Yep. yep. I mean, honestly, depending on what she's gone through, she might have been, like, just, like, get it over with. I mean. Like, yeah, I but know. it's not going to be quick either, so. <laughs> no, not if you're walled up. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. Whew. That's just. Oh. Yeah. So then it's February 20th, and it's two weeks later. Bletcher pulls up to the yellow house. Frank is sitting on the front steps. Bletch wanted to give Frank the rundown before Tom and Helen returned from the hospital. Frank's like, bad news. And Bletch says, 
the old man has a good attorney. They can't prove his involvement. Frank says the old man used Green to procure his victims. He was the devil that Green couldn't escape. Fletch says, unfortunately, any testimony from Green won't be worth much. And then he apologizes. Frank says Bletch saved Helen's life. It was his surveillance that forced them to hide Helen in the house. Catherine comes out with Jordan and Charles just as Tom and Helen arrive. Bletch tries to say hi to Jordan, but she just hugs Catherine's leg. Helen is recovering. She's still kind of messed up. Obviously, she probably went through a lot. But Mm. Catherine hands Charles to her, and obviously she seems relieved to have her baby. So that makes sense. Jordan is still clutching Catherine's leg. Frank offers his hand, and he and Jordan go for a walk. And then it's the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that last scene with Frank and Jordan, like, walking hand in hand, could we just see them from behind there walking down the sidewalk? Like, that was that was a good scene. I got a little tight-throated during it. Yeah, it was cute. It was cute. Yeah. And also, I kind of know where the season is going. I kind of know where the show is going. So it asked, it kind of hit me a little even harder. That oh, I don't bit. know where it's going. So yeah. Also, I, it was just beautifully done too. It was just yes. like you know, takes his you know father and daughter walking off, and he's you assume he's probably going to have a talk with her, maybe or something about her new psychic powers and how she needs to use them for good and not evil. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, yeah. So. Yeah, it was just, it just, I don't know. I've always, like, we've mentioned before, like, I'm always just impressed with Lance Hendrickson in this yeah, series. Yeah, he's really good. And then he and Jordan, you know, the actress playing Jordan, they have a really good dynamic that really seems like a father-daughter thing going on. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this just built on, just kept going with that. And so it was kind of, yeah, it was sweet. I loved it. So, so Richard Green was played by Dylan Haggerty. And maybe it was the shaved head. Or maybe it was what I see as a resemblance, possibly because of the shaved head. I don't know. But I was really getting some Kevin Wendell Crumb vibes from him, especially when he was in the hardware store, but also just in general. And, of course, I'm referring to James McAvoy in Split. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, it's a movie that I would never have watched, but it's part of the Unbreakable trilogy. It's the second one. At the time, no one knew it was this second part until there was a little Bruce Willis thing in the end. Mm-hmm. And I only watched it because Jeff and I did. We watched Unbreakable and decided we were going to do the trilogy because neither of us had. He had seen Split. I had not seen Split. And then neither of us had seen Glass. And so we watched it. Split is a really good movie. And James McAvoy is fucking amazing in that because he has multiple personalities, right? That's why it's called Split. And you just, you, you freaking believe it. He's, he, he's amazing in it. So anyway. I was getting that kind of vibe. And he has a shaved head in that movie. And so maybe that was part of it too. Because Richard Green has a very weird affect. He seems nervous and yet also drugged at times. Like when he shows up at the door when Tom has the gun, he seems almost like he is medicated out of his mind until he starts getting ramped up with the guns kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I think he did a pretty good job too anyway. But Haggerty will appear in season nine of the X-Files. He's going to be another X-Files episode, but that's it as far as X-Files land goes. He has been in other stuff, but not a lot. Often it's just like one episode of this, one episode of that. He's been in a couple of movies, but usually really small roles. He does have writing credit on three episodes of Adventure Time though. Oh, interesting. One in season seven and two in season eight. I didn't even know it had that many seasons because surprise, I never watched Adventure Time. I never I I saw, did like, either. One part of one episode by oh, happenstance. Never... I just happened to be somewhere. I so. have seen gift sets on Tumblr and like images of the characters, and that's as far as I've ever. Yeah, been. I've seen. Yeah, it's on the internet all the time, but I've never yeah. actually seen it. So yeah, but yeah. On the flip side of that, I really wasn't feeling Philip Anglum as Frank's brother. Like I just didn't. I just like you're not Frank's brother. You're not. You're just an actor that they cast to play Frank's brother. You're not Frank's brother. So, but he did look really familiar to me, and quite possibly it's because he was Lord Byron in 1998's Haunted Summer, which also includes Alex Winter as John Polidori, Eric Stoltz as Percy Shelley, and Laura Dern as Claire Claremont, and Alex Krieg as Mary Godwin, a.k.a. Mary Shelley. Nice. Anyway, he's also in eight episodes of Deep Space Nine as Vidic Beryl, 
which I never watched, even though Avery Brooks is in it. And I know Tori likes it when I bring in the Star Trek. Yeah, so. I got to say, Deep Space Nine is the one that I never like officially watched. So I do need to go back and rectify that. My brother was really into it and he thinks it's, he thought it was the best Star Trek. He probably still would. He is now dead. So he can't think anything, but he did really like that one. I just, for whatever reason, I never got into it. Like I would see random episodes when he was watching them, but it just wasn't something I ever got into. But I know like I have friends who are like, it's really the best Star Trek. And I'm like, I don't know. Strange new worlds exist. Deep now. Space Nine is the one that's right after the next generation, right? I think it is, and it's also the one that's like on the space station, right? So it's right. not like a ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I did watch Voyager, and I did watch. Um, I didn't watch. There's a couple of them I haven't seen, but Deep Space Nine is the one that I feel like is a big gap that I really need to sit down and actually watch because I've only seen like sporadic episodes. But I hear that it's very good. Yeah, because I was I, Avery Brooks is amazing because he played Hawk in Spencer for Hire, and mm-hmm. then he was also in Twelve Years a Slave. Um, which is not the one that came out in the big theaters, but like it's a right. it's an older, older version one, that yeah. you watch like in school, but it's fucking amazing. And but yet, and I watched the Next Generation. Not like I wasn't like a big super fan, but I watched it regularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then when Deep Space Nine came out, even though he was in it, I never really watched it. Yeah, and the cast is great. Like I never had anything against it. It was just like I was busy. It wasn't super into it. My brother was always watching it, so I would catch pieces of it. But like I never sat down and actually watched it. So it's something I need to do at some point. I'm trying to get through Picard season two right now. It's a fucking slog. It's really hard. Season one was fucking amazing. Season two is kicking my ass, but I'm trying. Well, I'm going to bring it back to some more Star Trek in a minute, but bear with me. So we go back to Haunted Summer. So Alex Winter played Marco in The Lost Boys, obviously, mm-hmm. right? 1987. And then, of course, he was Bill S. Preston Esquire in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in 1989. Mm-hmm. So, and then he was John Polidori in Haunted mm-hmm. Summer. Laura Dern played Ellie Sattler in Jurassic Park in 1993. She did. Yes, she did. Although one of her first big roles was actually in 1985 when she was in Mask, which also starred Eric Stoltz, who was also mm-hmm. in Haunted Summer. And then we mentioned Alice Krieg last episode because she's the one who played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact. And in all the continuing stuff up until we think Picard. We found out Picard was someone else. Picard so, is somebody else, yeah. She's also yeah. very good. But so, boom, back to Star Trek again through Haunted Summer, which shows up via Millennium. So, yeah. Because <laughs> Haunted Summer, if you're not familiar, listeners, is the summer holiday that resulted in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus being written, as well as Paul Dory's The Vampire, which was an influence on Bram Stoker writing Dracula. Uh-huh. And then that famous summer in the year without a summer, because that was the year the volcano erupted and fucked up the whole planet and everything was like winter the whole year, basically, is also portrayed in the 1986 film Gothic, in which Gabriel Byrne played Byron, Julian Sands played Percy Shelley, Natasha Richardson played Mary Shelley. And I always confuse that movie with The Bride, which came out in 1985, which starred Sting as Baron Frankenstein. Clancy Brown as the monster and Jennifer Beals from Flashdance as the bride because the 80s were crazy and I got all the movies stuff. were crazy. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> all right, then. That was, that was a tangent. <laughs> yeah. Gothic and Haunted Summer are both like fictionalized versions. Oh, obviously. I think Haunted Summer is a little more like true to historic. Gothic is crazy pants and is like over the top. Um, with some of the stuff it's directed by ken russell so there's also uh, an episode or two of doctor who uh with 13 going back to that night or that summer. oh there's also a movie called mary shelley that came out in 2017 with oh yeah yeah i, I saw the previews for that i never watched it yeah it's interesting because i was in doing the research everyone talks about the, the bride is I was thinking the bride kind of dealt into the real thing and then went back and forth. Like, like in the bride of Frankenstein, the 1935 version, they kind of have like a little play act of like the summer. And then they go into the movie kind of thing. And Elsa Lanchester plays both Mary Shelley and the bride, the Frankenstein. And so they do a little bit of that. And I thought maybe like the bride also did that too. It's been a long time since I watched it. I think I was just complaining things in my head, but it's not, it's just straight up like a retelling of like Frankenstein where they're making the bride for the monster. And then Dr. Frankenstein falls in love with her and, They think the monster's dead and it's crazy. But anyway, so I thought maybe it was doing that, but everyone talked about how The Bride was like a horrible movie. Everyone hated it. And like in the Wikipedia thing, it's like, it was a catastrophic failure and only earned like three point something million in the box office. And of course we're talking 1985. 
the Mary Shelley movie from 2017 earned a whopping $1.9 million internationally. Ouch. Yeah. And yet they're like, oh, the bride was a cash rock failure. And I didn't read anything saying about how like Mary Shelley was a failure. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But Yeah. 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 A little off topic of the Millennium episode. but Yeah, just a um, little bit. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, we talk about vampires and Frankenstein. We go on stuff, tangents so. all the time. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not abnormal. Star Trek. You know, we talk about In Search Of. Got Leonard Nimoy in it. That's Star Trek. Yes, it so. is Star Trek. Lost Boys. Star Trek adjacent. Winter, Bill and Ted. Oh. It's all It's all connected. If you're a nerd and you're going to, like, an X-Files convention, there's going to be Millennium stuff. There's going to be Star Trek stuff. Like, you know, there's probably going to be some horror stuff. There's going to be some steampunk cosplayers somewhere because they're always around and they always look fucking amazing. <laughs> so, I would love to do that. I do not have the time or energy, but it looks great. Yeah, there'll be someone doing like steampunk millennium stories is what they'll be doing. Oh, so, shit. Yeah. That would be fucking cool. Yeah. Damn. All right. I mean, if you can do steampunk <laughs> Star Wars and steampunk everything else. You can do steampunk yeah. millennium. Why not? Oh, yeah, for sure. So. Ooh, yeah. steampunk x-files i bet someone has done that <laughs> i bet it rocked <laughs> yeah back to uh millennium yeah so, i kind of liked this episode i have to say i did too um, i thought it was really entertaining like i was interested the whole time so i thought it was fascinating at least i wasn't bored that's good i actually forgot that frank spotnitz wrote it at one point so that's i guess a plus for him because I haven't been super impressed with his stuff. Yeah. Lately, so. Well, and it was good because like the setup is weird. Like she gets kidnapped outside of church. You're like, what the fuck's going on? Is this related to like whoever's been stalking Frank? <gasps> is it, you know, personal mm -hmm. or is it just random? And then like we see the killer guy and then like it turns out the killer guy was basically just a stooge for his evil father. Who his father is fucking evil. That guy has an evil energy. They did a really good job with that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. good. I was I was into this one, um, especially coming off the last one where I was not as into it. Um, <laughs> I think I'm trying to decide if I want to give it a seven or an eight. Oh, I think I'm going to give it an eight because of Jordan, <gasps> because Jordan and Catherine are great. Uh, Frank's brother's useless, but Jordan and Catherine are great. And also, I think Jordan is psychic. I think it kind of vindicated my theory that Jordan is psychic in addition to her father being psychic and possibly Tom is having some psychic abilities too. So the whole family really. Yeah. Well, Tom, fuck him. We're never going to see him again. So yeah. Gonna, and uh, I, yeah, Tom. he wasn't very good. So I'm not sad no. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really, I, I mean, I, you don't always have to be like your sibling. You don't even have to look like your sibling. Sure. But I just could not get that. He was Frank's younger brother. I just, yeah. it's it just not, it's like, nope, nope. Yeah. Could be a friend. I kind of just, bought Something. into it because they told me but yeah if i really thought about it too hard I, i'm with you he doesn't have that vibe and also their dynamic was super weird like we learn about how frank protected him as a kid from their dad's mm -hmm. wrath but then like i don't know and i get that he's traumatized and dealing with a lot of shit but he just i don't know i felt like he was really weird and everything he did felt like it was more written for the plot than something someone's brother would actually do yeah yeah and apparently did, did you read that story as frank bought him the bicycle i thought the father did and he just ruined it or whatever like he well he crashed into the car right because he was like because um, he's like because he was like i wanted this bicycle forever and then christmas morning and Catherine's like i think she says like he got it for you and he's like frank got it and so to me oh, i'm like that means frank got it for him frank did but i don't mean if that means that frank got it as a present but i don't think so because then like he jumped on it and was riding it and then scratched their car and then frank took the blame and got a whooping for it yeah. so it seems like frank bought him the bicycle yeah uh, i don't know if um, that's what they were trying to say but yeah either way like he kept him from getting in trouble for running it into dad's car so yeah I think it's just supposed to make it that Frank is a good guy and will do everything to help his family. Yeah, and, yeah. And just reinforce that. So, and then For Tom, sure. you know, isn't really useful. So, no, Tom is useless. Yeah, Tom is useless. <laughs> useless. Okay, well, let's see. You gave it an eight. I don't want to just piggyback, but I think I'm going to do the same. I liked it. 
I think everybody. Well, aside from, I don't think the guy. I don't think the guy playing Tom did a bad job. No, I just didn't believe him. As I think that was more of a casting thing, sure, than than his ability. Mm-hmm. So, and maybe a writing thing too, possibly. I don't know, but everyone else seemed to do a really good job. And then you know we've got we've got we've got lots of layers, like you said, like Helen gets abducted. We've got we've got some some conflict with Frank and Bletcher, right? Yeah. And then we got we got <laughs> Peter like like. <laughs> On his own, it's like renegade for the group. <laughs> so the impound lot and examining the car, doing all yeah, the police should be doing. Stuff. Yeah. And then we've got Jordan getting psychic powers. We've got a guy who is probably like totally fucked over as a kid, which is why he has mental issues. And then is being used like as a Renfield for his Dracula dad mm-hmm. to find like victims as a, you know, his dad is basically a serial killer and uses yes. him like as a henchman, essentially yeah. is what's going on. So the one thing I wasn't, and they did this, they did this in, they, well, they did this in Never Again when they talked about, remember when he burned the tattoo with a cigarette? Yes. And then when you look at it, it's like, oh, it looks burned. It just looked bloody. It didn't yes. look burned. They did the thing where they kept talking about the symbol in, in Richard Green's arm was burned in with cigarettes, which I think they wanted to tie into like the cigarette scars on the roof of the mouth stuff. But then all the images we see, it looks like it's carved in. Yeah. And then true. when we see it, it's really raised up on his flesh. But like that's not necessarily a burn. Like you can do tattooing like that where you, you know, cut the skin and it, it you know, raises up like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure about the whole like burning versus cutting thing because like the bodies don't have that cut into them. So it seems like more of that was his wound, but yet it looks, it's definitely carved into his flesh, not burned into his flesh. So yeah. I don't know. Unless it was then like cauterized with a cigarette after he did it, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, we don't get I that. Don't so yeah. again, minor quibble. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Much easier to show carved flesh than it is to show like someone burning you with a cigarette repeatedly. So both are gross, honestly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ooh, double eights. All um, right. Well, good for Millennium for coming back from the last episode that was not as good. Yeah, and the episode <laughs> before that we gave double eights too. Nice. And then we gave we gave wide open double eights. So yeah, we're ooh, Millennium's doing pretty good. Doing pretty good, Millennium. <laughs> Keep it up, Millennium. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> also, Millennium has a thing with with dads maybe to maybe they do it on purpose to accentuate what a great dad frank is dads are bad in millennium dads are not yeah. good in millennium there's well, a lot of episodes with bad dads relates to like god and the devil and god being the father of man and i don't know letting i don't know maybe there's some theme there that i'm just not catching yeah but there's a lot of bad dads in millennium there Ooh. are there are yeah Ooh, man and I get it because this is what the show is about. But man, some of this stuff is just like, oh, damn, stop. I don't want to know that people do that to other people. That's, I, I know they do. The world is bad. I can't live in the yellow house either. But man, fuck. I know. Ugh. Yeah, it definitely can get dark. You know what doesn't get dark? What? The fact that this episode is hosted by Tori and Nick <laughs> and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. <laughs> nice transition. Working on it. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by The Agrarians. Our bonus X-Files adjacent feed is where we cover television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. And as you can tell by our conversations, like adjacent is super loose. So <laughs> it's whatever yeah. we want it to be. We can make connections. We have red yarn. We do a lot. Buy stock, honestly, because I go through a lot. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend. We'd be happy to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. there.
makes me. Oh, got the Pepsi burp in there. Good job. I know. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> also had a, a, a cheese stick. It was sharp cheddar. It's very good. Oh, you didn't get accosted by a. No, Lock. he's. I, I've been not giving it to him, and so I think he's um, chilled out. He's also sleeping on the bed, so maybe oh, notice. Well, then let's roll. Yeah, he All is. Right. Um, he got a snack earlier, and then he whined at me after, and then he got a toy from their advent calendar because we have a oh. kitty kitty advent calendar, and it has twenty five toys. So every day, twenty five. It's only about that twenty four. What kind of kitty calendar is that? It's a magic one. Yeah. So all the way from now to Christmas, they get a toy every day. Because wow. they're spoiled as shit. 